actually 1 John chapter 4. Just going to say a few words to conclude this evening. Oh well, we'll see what happens. <coughs> 1 John chapter 4, if you've got a Bible with you, go there. Oh, it's good to be happy, isn't it? Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Right, where are we? One, John, where's it gone? I'm slightly intoxicated in the presence of God myself, so finding books in the Bible makes it a little bit more tricky. One, Jan, John, not one, Jan, who's Jan? She's not in the Bible, is she? One John chapter four. <clears throat> I want to share a bit about um, under this statement. God spoke to me very strongly during the worship this morning. You know, some people ask me the question as a pastor. They say, "You know, why do we spend so much time singing songs, worshiping, and 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 you know, people give these great talks on worship. Worship is not singing songs. Well, when I read the Psalms, they did a lot of singing." So worship is in some way related to singing. Now I know the first mention of worship in the Bible is in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, when Abram was going with his son to the altar where Isaac was going to be laid on the altar. And can I just say this? God didn't ask him to do that because God is a child abuser. God was never going to kill Isaac. He just wanted a man in the earth to be devoted enough to him to give his son so that God legally could give his son in the earth. You see? So because a man did that for God and who was in partnership with God, God was allowed into the earth to bring his son. I'm going to go into more than that. I thought God can do anything. No, he always needs partnership in the earth. So anyway, the first mention of worship is in Genesis 22. And Abram says to Isaac, let's go and worship. So worship is linked with sacrifice. So when we come and we praise God, sometimes it's a sacrifice because we may not feel like doing it in our emotions. We may have had a bad day or a bad week or a bad year or a bad decade. And we think, oh. But the Lord wants us to praise Him. And I've always thought, you know, why does He want, why does He ask for worship and praise? I know He's not a narcissist. I know He's a God who's benevolent and loving and and he's totally and utterly devoid of selfishness. He's selfless, not self-centered anyway, our Father. So why does he ask us to worship him? And I was asking the Lord this because people ask me. So when I don't know the answer, I ask him. And it's quite good, really. <clears throat> and he said this to me. He said, son, human beings become what they worship. Human beings become what they worship. So worship takes a focus, a meditation, a devotion. Your focus determines your reality. When you worship Him, you're seeing Him as He really is. Worship is not just singing songs, but the words of the songs paint pictures on your heart that allow you to see Him, and as you see Him, you become like Him. So the more we actually engage in worship, the more we're being transformed into the image of God. Isn't that amazing? I know we don't do it for that reason, but that is, a, that is the way God set us up. That's we worship Him. 
we become like him. I think that's awesome, isn't it? And therefore, I want to just share a little bit on this because I really believe it's essential for us to understand the power of praise and worship and the power of, of, of spending time focusing on Jesus, focusing on who he is. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says this, And we have known or we have seen and perceived and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. But he who fears has not been perfected in love. We love him because he first loved us. So this kind of transformation that God wants us to have is to deal with this thing called fear. Fear is a spirit. And any fear that's tolerated in our life contaminates faith. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated so therefore it's important that we as we worship and as we focus on the Lord as we read the scriptures as we uh, encounter him more as we've done this evening as we develop more intimacy in our relationship with him we are becoming like him and guess what there's no fear in God whatsoever he's never afraid of anything there's not one ounce of fear in God's soul and his mind, he's completely fear-free. He's not afraid of men. He's not afraid of demons. He's not afraid of the future. He's not afraid of the past. He's just completely and utterly secure. And guess what, brothers and sisters? That's where we are headed. In fact, the Father sees us that way just right now through Jesus. And we are being conformed to that same image as we worship and as we develop our intimacy, as we develop our meditation with the Lord, these are the things that are going to happen. You'll find things that you used to think and things that you used to do just fall off you. Some of us are focusing and meditating on giving our eyes and our time to things that are worthless, things that actually make our soul bitter, things that actually hurt our soul and soil it on the inside. And tonight, God is asking us to change the way we think and come out of the mire and start to think thoughts after him and start to put him as our object of worship. That's why he didn't want us worshipping idols because you become what you worship. That's why he didn't want us worshipping animals in creation because we become what we worship. He wanted us worshipping him because he wants to be, us to be like him in our experience, not just in our position. So as we worship, that happens. <clears throat> Jesus put it this way. He says, when you get time with your father, go into the secret place, and what you do in the secret place will, will, will actually be rewarded in open. What's he saying? He's saying, times like we've had tonight corporately in the secret place in God's presence, there's going to be a manifestation of glory 
in the open. There you go. In the open because of it. Yeah. It's going to happen. There's going to be a manifestation of glory because of what's happened in the secret place. It's not just your personal secret place. When we're together, you know we're in the secret place of God together. Oh, we're in a wonderful place. So it's both corporately and individually. What, we, what happens in the secret place is going to be rewarded openly. Remember Peter who had that wonderful revelation that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, and the Son of God. Remember that? When Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And, you know, they wouldn't commit to an answer. You know, have you ever been in that situation? Uh, you know, people, somebody you look up to asks you a question and you won't commit to an answer. Or somebody in authority asks you a question and you won't commit to an answer. That happens sometimes when I go into the youth group here. I ask them a question, but nobody will commit to an answer. Uh, when I go to the life group, sometimes that happens. But I tell you this, some of them said, oh, mate, well, we didn't commit, but they said, you may be like John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say, not me, but some say you're Elijah. Not me, I'm not going to commit. But some say you're Elijah. Some say, and, and have you noticed the men that they thought Jesus was like? These were powerful individuals, weren't they? But Peter has this revelation. Because he's zealous, we're talking about zeal this morning. He just blurts it out, doesn't he? You know, he says, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus turns to him and says, blessed are you, Simon Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven has revealed it to you. And I declare to you, you are Peter. So what happened as he focused on Jesus and got a revelation of who Jesus was, what happened? He got a fresh revelation of who he was. In fact, Jesus says, on this rock of revelation, I'll build my church. But he calls Peter a rock. He says, you are a rock. So he's saying, you're the same substance as this revelation. You are going to be an extension of the anointing and sonship in the earth. That's what the church is here for. To be a continuation of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the identity of sonship in the, church, in the world. That's what the church is here for. Amen. And in our worship, we become more like Him. We imbibe more anointing of the Holy Spirit. And what happens is we get a fresh revelation. As we see Him, we become like Him and get a fresh revelation of who He is, but also who we are. Amen. You know, this is a pilgrimage, what I'm talking about. This is not going to be, you know, some people, you know, we prophesy over some people and we have, we glimpse something of the, the goal that God's put in them. And the, 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 the reaction of some people is to sort of take a prophecy where it's, it's given maybe that you're going to be a wonderful, uh, mighty minister of the gospel across the world. And you get that sort of prophecy at you and you take it on board and it impacts you. But then you don't do anything with it because the mindset becomes, well, God will do it when he wants to do. Or I'll just wake up one morning and I'll be Benny Hinn or Reverend Billy Boos Boos or whatever. I'll, be all, I'll, be, I'll just wake up one morning and I'll be the man of faith and power for the hour just because God's sovereignty is involved. No, that's not what God's asking. This is a pilgrimage. This is a process. And as we develop ourselves in him, as we allow him to speak to us, as we allow our focus to be on him, there's a development. Can I suggest to you it's a pilgrimage? Do you understand that word, pilgrimage? 
So it's a journey, isn't it, into all that God has for us. Yes, positionally, we're perfect before him, but there's a journey to go on in our experience. In Isaiah 52, verses 1 and 2, you don't need to turn to it, but the prophet speaks to Zion, which is the people of God, and he says this, Awake, awake, O Zion, shake off the dust. Have you noticed that dust doesn't easily cling to objects that are always on the move. Have you, have you noticed if you're walking around the house or you're walking down there, you don't suddenly just knock a pile of dust off your shoulder. It may be dandruff, but you don't <laughs> knock a pile of dust off your shoulder, do you? Because you, you're, not, you're moving all the time. But if you decided to be stationary for a long, long time, dust would be all over you. Dust would cling to you. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to keep moving deeper and deeper into him. He wants us to keep focusing and keep this pilgrimage of beholding who he is and who we are in him. Don't settle for where you are. Don't become static with the revelation you have. There's so much more in God. And we're not like the orphan Oliver Twist who says, please, sir, can I have some more? And Mr. Bumble says, more, boy! No, no, God's not like that. And we're not an orphan. The reason we go to God and ask for more is because we're sons and as we receive more, we've got more to give. All this claptrap, this religious claptrap about the fact that we've got it all and we don't need more is a big red herring. We need more and more time with God, more and more focus on who He is because I believe the person becomes in perfect peace when their mind is focused on the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Turn with me, just to close today, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Two Corinthians chapter three. <clears throat> and I want to read a portion of scripture here. We're going to read from verse seven. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, that's actually the ministry of death is the law. If the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, his face, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation, that's the law, had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the, 
at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away only in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with, listen to this, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let me say this again. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So let's just sum this up real quick. So you had the law through Moses. It was glorious. There was miracle signs and wonders with it, acts of power. But the gospel that brings righteousness by faith is more glorious than that. So we can expect a better covenant, better promises. We can expect more glory. We can expect more miracles, more signs, more wonders than they have in the Old Testament. Can you say amen to that? We can expect all that because we're in a different ministry and it's the ministry of the Spirit, not the ministry that brought condemnation. Now it says that when Moses is read, a veil lies on people's hearts. The more you hear preaching and teaching that's law-based, the more you will not see who you really are. The more you hear preaching and teaching that's based on don't do this and do this, it's based on law and legalism, you will not see who you really are. But the more you hear ministry that's based on the Spirit, the more you hear ministry that's based on the grace of the Scripture, which is the entire counsel of God according to Paul in Acts chapter 20, it's important we realize that as we receive that kind of ministry, we are not having a veiled face but actually, we can see him face to face. It says that we look into a mirror. When you look in a mirror, you see yourself. God wants us to get to the stage that when we look into the mirror of the, law, the word of God, the perfect law of liberty, when we look into the, into the eyes of Jesus, we see ourselves. I'll just say that again. A mirror is a reflection of who you are. God wants to get his children to the stage through worship-focused meditation and relationship that when we look at Jesus, we recognize ourselves. Can somebody say amen to that? That is powerful. We're not under the law with a distant deity that we've got to appease. We are in a face-to-face relationship with a God that wants us to completely and utterly manifest his nature in this world. Stand with me, would you? You can sit down. You've got special dispensation. Just close your eyes for a moment. But we are with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. You're being transformed by beholding. 
by worshipping, you're being transformed. By meditating in the scriptures, you're being transformed. It may not, you may not feel it right away, but you're being transformed. That's awesome, isn't it? So, Father, I pray this week that every single person in this room would continue on that pilgrimage of beholding and they'll know what it is to experience more and more transformation, renovation, restoration, and they would see themselves the way you see them in the name of Jesus. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Go, be blessed, and be the sons and daughters of God you are. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Good night.